This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I am joined by Barry Scardina. Barry is a retail pro with a plethora of experience. I'm excited for her to be here. Today, she works at Cushman and Wakefield. Welcome to the show, Barry. Hi, it's so great to be here. I'm excited to spend some time with you today. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do at Cushman and how you got there. Sure. Um, it's, it's sort of an interesting story. So I am a New Jersey girl, born and bred, Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, the Jersey Shore. I started out in retail at the age of 16 and a half years old at Macy's. Um, and before Westfield owned the Garden State Plaza, when it was just literally like a freestanding, it might have even been Bamberger's back then. I worked in the gift wrap department, and I was too short to be able to reach the role to wrap, to pull the gift wrap off. And so I was moved into contemporary sportswear to sell clothing, and that's where my love of retail began. Uh, literally, there was anger about my gift wrapping abilities. And if you ever come to our house for Christmas, they have not improved at all. Um, you haven't seen me I, gift wrap something. It's <laughs> really, really scary. <laughs> I spent the majority of my career, as you said, um, in retail, mostly on the operations side. I've worked for amazing organizations like Ralph Lauren, Tory Burch. Um, and prior to moving into the real estate industry, I worked for Calvin Klein, where I was the president of North America. And what, um, at the end of 2018, I was really ready for a new opportunity, a new challenge. And in 19, I joined Cushman and Wakefield to lead their um, retail practice across North America. And it was an interesting time to change, um, to change industries, to change careers, because three months later, we went into a pandemic. And I found myself with, you know, hundreds of brokers that couldn't meet with clients, that couldn't do business and literally an industry that was in enormous change. And in the beginning, the news is really bad and we were out there you know, saying, retailers are innovators and we're gonna be okay and we're gonna find our way forward. And that really proved to be true. And so our positive um, spirit and our belief in our partners was really, I think, you know, um, well-intended and really you know, brought us to where we are today. Um, it's been great to take what I know as a retail leader and be able to meet with clients and talk about what do they need, where are they in their life cycle, are they a digitally native brand that wants to enter a new market, are they someone who's thinking about expanding, do we need to do a portfolio overview, um, should we look at the portfolio and think about you know, how we can do micro-fulfillment before we just close stores, are we in the right centers, there's just so much great work going on and so much experiential work. It's just every day is exciting and challenging. So I'm so blessed to be in, you know, in this industry. Interesting. So how did you find them or did they find you? So it's a funny story. I, um, I was, you know, interviewing for lots of different positions and trying to really figure out what I wanted to do. And I've got a, a kind of a different background. I'm a very strong operational leader. I have a love of technology. 
And I really have a passion for, for retail. I love, like if I could go and work in a store and sell product all the time, that's what I would do. I love the consumer. I love the being in the brick and mortar. And so, you know, I was talking to lots of retailers and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And Cushman had posted this job on LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, I'm going to just apply for it and see what happened. And I went through a really extensive interviewing process. I think we talked for like six or seven months. And every time I talked to someone at the organization, I came home and said to my husband, boy, this could be really interesting. This could be really fun. And, um, and then eventually we decided in September of 2019 to move forward together. And so um, it has been really fun. There's, there's been a lot of challenges and, you know, Working with the brokerage community is very different than running an organization because, you know, these are people that you're influencing and you're really serving. It's all about being a servant leader and helping them have capabilities to do what they need to do. Uh, much different than running an organization where you're kind of saying to people, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and we'll, I'll lead you through it. So it was a really um, a different muscle to flex and in a different industry, but I've really enjoyed it. And I work with we have the most amazing people, amazing people, so smart, just so visionary. Excellent. So interesting. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But first, I want to take us to the part of the show we call Clear the Air. I've got three questions for you. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Question one. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? So during the pandemic, people really developed a love of cooking and they like to, you know, really experiment and bake. And, um, and as we moved into a time where we could have people together again, I was in the supermarket and people were buying all kinds of preparations for meals. I love to throw a party. I hate to cook. The only things I make are the turkey for Thanksgiving and the roast chicken and brisket for the Jewish holidays. That's it. That's it. In fact, last year in a panic because I couldn't have friends for, for Rosh Hashanah and I was just having my parents, I made my, my first noodle kugel and I'm in my 50s. So I hate cooking. And I know people really find it like it's a form of being creative and people find, you know, it's relaxing. I, I just, and I'm just not good at it. I feel like, you know, it's an art and I just don't, I'm just not good at it. I do make great brisket though. I love brisket. Who doesn't love a good brisket? Okay. Question two. What is one skill you don't possess but wish you did? Oh, I wish I could sing. I love music. I love live music. I wish I have a terrible voice. I wish I could sing. Also, last night while I was watching the Christmas tree lighting, I wish I had been tall enough and skilled enough to be a rock hat. That would have been pretty cool. I was like, that is pretty cool. I have zero, zero musical ability, so I also appreciate musical skills, which uh, I don't have, so I also wish I had one. Do you like the singing shows out there? My wife and I love The Voice. Do you ever watch The Voice? Of course I watch The Voice. Absolutely. Are you watching the season? Who do you think is going to win? I, you know what? I feel really badly. I haven't played, paid attention to this season as closely. I love Ariana Grande, and I was like so excited to see her on, but I haven't really watched all the individual performances the way I, I usually do. There's so much on Netflix and Hulu and Apple. I, I, there's just not enough time to watch all the content. Okay. We got to move on. Question three. 
When is the last time you tried something for the first time? So in August, I had um, partial knee replacement, uh, probably driven by wearing very, very high heels and walking around retail stores for a number of years. And I waited as long as I could to do it. I actually have to do it on my other knee in March. And so, um, you know, a big part of, you know, recovering is really building back the muscles. And so I started rowing. Um, I'm a big Orange Theory fan and I hadn't done a lot of rowing. And so I started rowing and I'm so into it. It's like an excellent exercise. It exercises every part of your body. It's, you can be as competitive as you want. It's really fun. I have a rower. Do you? We'll have to exchange offline. We can exchange times. How long you to do, you know, 500 meters, et cetera. I'm, I'm still pretty small, pretty slow. And I do have to say, I have like a, probably like a 28 inch inseam. So when I push back, I don't go back that far. So it, it definitely empties my arms more. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. Tall people have some advantages in rowing, no doubt. Absolutely. Keeping the conversation moving. Let's talk a bit about what's going on in retail. Big question. You know, it is such an amazing time. I am so excited about where we are in terms of recovery. We're seeing retail vacancies drop. We're seeing rents start to increase. We see consumers still having a lot of money to spend. And I always preface this that, you know, we make generalizations, but we have to remember there are people really struggling out there and it's been a tough time for a lot of people. But in general, when you look at the overall economy, there's tremendous pent up demand and consumers are spending and they have quite a bit of savings to continue to spend. Our forecast from, through our economists shows that retail is going to continue to be strong for the next two to four years. So we're going to continue to see this trajectory. When we look at e-commerce, we see it starting to level off where, and get to like somewhere around, a, I don't know, 80-20 split brick and mortar, 75-25. So the brick and mortar business is going to continue to be really strong. And what's so great, too, is what how retail has changed. So, you know, apparel, accessories, and footwear, which really drove retail for so long, has been, you know, a little bit slower to recover and has kind of been a little stagnant. But we're seeing so many new people come, you know, to the space. Medical retail, which we love to call medtail, veterinary services, all kinds of pet care, digitally native brands opening up stores, the dollar stores and, and kind of um, the big box stores thinking about new formats. And it's been really exciting to see how people are looking at communities and figuring out what are the, what's the right mix in a community? What should the developer be bringing to the community? What is the right size of the box? How does technology play a role? All these things are coming together in a way that we've never seen before. I don't know if you saw it, but I was just watching this segment on, on you know, Walmart and the delivery and the drones. And I would love a drone to drop off a box in front of my house. I thought that was so cool. That was, there's, there's just... The innovation on the product side, on the technology side, on the consumer experience side is really exciting. I mean, like, look at, you know, the Lego store in Rock Center, the, the um, Harry Potter experience. Like, there's just the Tiffany's, the big T that Tiffany's just did, all the Louis Vuitton pop-up stores. It's a really exciting time. And, there's, and the food, there's so many second-generation spaces that are giving new opportunities to restaurateurs. Food halls are a big deal. The ghost kitchen movement, like 
we can't even keep up electric vehicles you know there's just so many new things on the horizon you know we're not naive we also have to understand that we've got supply chain challenges and definitely labor shortage challenges and i'm actually I think we'll sort out the supply chain. The labor, I think, is going to take something longer to unwind. But I still feel like there's just terrific positive momentum. And there's just a great sense that we came through something that was just so, so, so devastating. And I feel like the investment community is saying we've shed the things that really needed to be shed. We ripped those Band-Aids off and we're going to be able to move forward in a much more positive way. If you were running a retail business like you had once upon a time, what would you be doing to bring the best candidates in the door? We've seen things like Target do tuition reimbursement. Now, obviously, many businesses can't do things like that. They don't have the balance sheet. So let's assume you were at a smaller retailer. What would you be doing? I think, you know, for the big brands, there's, I know you said two things, but I think there's three. I think one, you have to have people, you have to explain to people what your, what your brand is about and have them buy into your brand and feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Everybody wants to be part of something. And so we, you don't want to have people just walking into a store to work for four hours to leave. You want them to have input to to be able to have some decision making you know maybe someone gets to be in charge of some visual merchandising or they get to do displays and they're part of like kind of the brand ethos when i was young and i worked at the limited you just felt like you were part of something that was so much bigger than yourself it was just such an exciting time i think you know flexibility around hours we haven't been the best managers of our talent over the years. Our hours have been really brutal. We don't always, you know, we always don't think about how we can be flexible and fit into people's um, needs. And it's much different now. One of the biggest areas where we've seen people drop out of the labor force is women with young children. So what can we do to make sure that we're, you know, helping people, you know, have that flexibility? And then I think, you know, I'm all about the product, right? So what can we do to give people product to provide them discounts? You know, years ago when I worked in stores, you were able to get special product for special prices. And so then you got to wear the brand and be part of the brand. So I think those are all things that make people feel like something bigger than themselves. And then obviously you want people to feel like they're safe. You know, I think the other thing that we don't really talk about a lot is there's a lot of crime going on right now. I mean, we've seen it in the news and, and we need to make sure that people feel safe when they're, when they're in our employment. Thank you for sharing that great response. There's a lot going on. It seems that a simple one might be to raise price so wages can be raised. Do you think that's going to happen? I definitely think that we're going to see the minimum wage increase and that we're going to have to pay more for um, good talent. Um, It's interesting, and I'm sure you're seeing this too. When you go out to dinner, there are some restaurants that are really well staffed and have great, you know, great and some places where the staff is really too thin, they can't get the food out, there's just not enough people. And you've got to believe that those experiences where there's where a lot of people working and there's a really good experience for the consumer are paying a better wage and they've sorted that out. I do think, you know, that's a big part of it. But, you know, People work for different reasons. Money is definitely part of that. But I also think that when I look at some of the studies, 
people want to feel fulfilled. They want to work someplace where they're proud, where, where we're focused on sustainability, where we're focused on diversity, equity, and equality. I don't think it's just as simple as money. I think there's got to be a package there, especially for younger people. Yeah, a great point. I think it's a great point on restaurants because I think people wander into a restaurant and they just assume it's hustle and bustle and then they they see that you know potentially that half the restaurant is closed off and there's limited hours and they and the consumer is getting frustrated and the reason is they're having trouble staffing it there's also I think in the restaurant industry, there's also opportunities around succession. So how do we get people who can move from one role to another role to into management? Like, how do we make, you know, how do we give those opportunities in the restaurant industry to move people along? And it's not just a stop, a stopping point for someone. Okay. That's the labor side. You mentioned a ton of exciting stuff. You got me excited. Let's get everyone else excited. Let's bring it down a bit and give us, what are you concerned about? You know, I am concerned about um, the new variant. You know, that's something that I'm concerned about. I'm worried that we're going to see people unable to get out again into stores or feel as confident. Well, I was in, I was in the mall on Black Friday morning, which um, I probably was like the oldest person in the mall on Black Friday morning. It was really, I think something focused on 15 to 25 year olds. But I, I've been doing that since I was very young. And so I was in the mall at seven o'clock in the morning with my son and daughter-in-law. And people were, they were out, they were together, they were shopping in groups. A lot of people were unmasked because they had been you know, vaccinated. And I think there was this feeling of like safety and positivity. And I, you know, I worry about if we have to kind of pull back from that. So that's a worry. Um, and I worry too about inflation. You know, it's hard to understand exactly what's going on. Gas prices go up, they go down. Lumber was very expensive, it's come down. The supply chain is really going through, you know, a difficult time. We can't get, we're seeing leases being delayed because we can't get fixtures for stores. We're seeing restaurants not being able to get refrigerators and stoves. And so, you know, that that kind of slows down the momentum and you worry that people will make, will change their mind or change decisions based on, not being able to follow through the way they want to. And so I think that's also very concerning. And I am concerned about what's going on with the crime in our retail centers. We, we have some really challenging parts of the United States that are, you know, we've got to get our arms around. And we just came out of this terrible, terrible time. And the last thing we want to do is deter people from going back to stores. Couldn't agree more. We certainly don't want to deter people from going to the store. Crime is interesting because I feel like as it relates to retail, it's not necessarily the headline news. Shrink keeps coming up, people talking about this. So for you to say that's one of your biggest concerns going forward, that hits me and resonates. The shrink one is interesting to me because I think the battle's over with e-commerce and brick and mortar and e-commerce is the tailwind. What I do think, however, is shrink is less of a challenge for e-commerce brands, right? People aren't walking in and out of the, the store and there's other ways stuff can happen digitally, but different types of issues. Uh, 
you, you can't drive your car into your computer. Well, maybe you can, like you can into a store and take things out. <clears throat> so uh, I saw that happen. It's a, you know, interesting time, but you, you, you bring up a good point and it resonates with me. If, if shrinks a concern for you, I think it's something we all need to think about. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of twofold. You know, there's this very violent crime that's going on in terms of like smashing and grabbing, which I think is very scary and, and orchestrated. But then there's also, you know, you go into a store and there's a lack of labor and there's kind of the grab and go. And so, you know, stores are getting hit by, you know, by people who are probably, you know, a little bit less sophisticated, but they're getting hit nonetheless. And that is an expense to the retailer. And we, I, I worry about that because, you know, all of this goes down to their bottom line and their ability to spend capital to expand. So, you know, shortage has been a problem for a long time. Um, you know, my whole career we've dealt with shortage, but this is, feels very different. I mean, it, it doesn't feel, it feels like someone really needs to do something about it to kind of stop this, this kind of crime. I came up with the idea that someone should do something about it. <laughs> I don't think that I, I don't think I've thought through it well enough, but I am concerned about it. So that's retail. Let's move on to the real estate side. You come from operational background. Have have your eyes been open to what goes into how stores actually end up where they do, or did you know what was happening behind the scenes? So just so we don't get our facts mixed up, I was the president of Calvin Klein. I don't want anyone to call me afterwards <laughs> and say anything. It's okay. But, you know, when you work for a large corporation and you are a divisional president, you have a real estate person, and unfortunately I had a, a lovely one, she's really wonderful, and they bring you deals because they're working with certain, you know, landlords, and they bring you deals, and you look at the deal and you stand there and say, oh, that deal looks good, that location looks good, oh, that's where a banana republic's going to be, that looks good. And when I moved into real estate, and certainly part of this too is related to the pandemic, we have really migrated away from, you know, taking somebody to a center and standing there and saying, oh, that's the food court and that's where the polo store is. And so I'll be right between the food court and the polo store, or I have to be next to Apple. And now we really use demographics, predictive analytics, mobile data to be able to say to people, your consumer is doing this and this is where we're doing it. There's been so much that's changed. And it's it's not just in big cities, it's in small cities like Chicago, Washington, DC, you know, Philadelphia, um, you know, what's going on in San Francisco, Seattle. And and there's been so much migration. Look at Houston, Dallas, and Austin. Twenty-five years ago, I wouldn't have worried about what my retail presence looks like in Austin, Texas. Now everybody is opening a store in Austin, Texas. So You've, we've really moved away from this like, oh, I think this would be a nice location to put a store to really being data-driven, analytical, predictive, testing and learning, open up, you know, pop-up stores or short-term leases and really understanding like where does the brand resonate and where does it make sense with the community, which is like light years away from any kind of conversation I've ever had. I always say if I had known what I would be doing. I would have like handled things so differently, you know, but I didn't know, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, things have changed. When you were leading large retail operations, did you know 
what went into the negotiation and the story behind that of how a deal got done for a store to end up where it did? Or were you surprised? Oh, absolutely. I was surprised. I was, I mean, our brokers work so hard to strike the right balance um, and to look at TI and the term of the lease. And there's so much that goes into it. I mean, even the number of locations you, you see when you're trying to decide where to put something. It's, you know, it, they work so hard. They really do. I had no idea. And in fairness, you know, most of my businesses were in, you know, malls and outlet centers. And so you're looking at spaces like, oh, here's one space. Here's another space. That space seems nicer. Okay. But you just had no idea. Okay. That's a very helpful perspective, especially for the people in retail, not on the real estate side. Okay. General question now. What's going to happen next in retail? I think we're going to continue to see vacancies come down. We don't have a lot of, there's not a lot of new building going on. So unlike um, in some places where there are lots of new offices going on and they're competing with existing properties, we don't have a lot of new centers going up in, in retail. So vacancies are gonna continue to come down. I think we're going to see rents start to return and, and normalize. It's going to be very different by geography. So if you look at what's going on in the Sun Belt, you know, in Miami versus what's going on in Chicago or New York City or San Francisco, it's going to take time and be different by geography. But I, and I also think we're going to see tenants change. I mean, we're going to see, you know, there needs to be a reason for the tenant to be in a location. They're going to have to drive traffic for the developer. There, you know, the tenant has to feel like the right co-tenancy is in the area. There needs to be a sense of community. I think everyone's talking about that. The retailer needs to show sustainability and diverse and diversity. Um, and it's a confusing time. You know, I was reading, you know, all the articles this morning and Lush Soap is talking about really pulling back from social media, but TikTok is looking to sell product. So, you know, it's just, it's such a confusing time and I think there's a lot to sort out, but I feel like from a brick and mortar perspective, we're going to see the better centers get even better. The B malls find their way and anything less than that morph into something very different, whether it's industrial, multifamily, mixed use, you know, there's a lot of new tenants on the horizon. This medical thing is exploding. And I think we're just going to end up with a very different landscape, but a, but a more productive one. Today, I actually put out my top five retail real estate trends for 2022. Oh, I missed them. <laughs> That's okay. But you kind of hit on three. Oh, good. <laughs> you hit on three and it reminds me, one was that retailers are going to get more charming. Uh, the spaces are actually going to get more charming. And I said that because construction costs have risen and therefore there's a lack of new development. Supply is coming off the market because as you mentioned, uh, the mall's purpose is getting changing. CBRE actually said that they believe 25% of all retail will be repurposed by 2025 which I find exciting because for me, that means there'll be a lack of supply and more demand. So there's a bunch of things, which is retail space will be repurposed. 
stores will get more charming, though a lack of new development, and that the um, you know the 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 some of the malls will be repurposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, retail real estate isn't really getting built because of, not because of demand, but because of the construction costs and the rent to cost ratio. I said retailers are going to have to get a little more charming because they're going to have to get creative with the spaces in order to get a deal to pencil. There's going to be a lack of space uh, and they're going to have to be creative within the space because of your point. I, I do think that is good for the industry. Um, you know, and when I say more charming, it, it might not actually be more charming. It might just mean they're keeping the bathrooms in the same spot to save 60 grand and, and, and maybe put 30 of that into the experience of the store. The other thing I said is we're going to get a lot of new concepts. And you mentioned the healthcare, all, all the new things that are happening in shopping centers. And they're really not alternative anymore. And finally, you mentioned before hiring and the great resignation. Well, one of the things that's happened from the great resignation are those people are becoming entrepreneurs or some of them and opening up new concepts. So there's a flip side to the tough to hire story that I think is interesting. Absolutely. I'll, I'll give you one that's, that was my top 2022 retail real estate trend, which is we'll have more online stores close than physical stores in 2022. Yeah. It's possible. There's there's definitely an abundance of online. Um, I actually listened to a podcast that you did, I guess within the last couple of weeks and you talked about like just the number of online, you know, store, stores. And it might, it sort of reminds me of the number of channels we can watch now. Like, you know, when, when Paramount Plus and Peacock came out, I was like, I just feel like now we're just doing a derivative of, you know, of, of what all these others have been and how many things can you really pay for and how much TV can you watch? Um, the one thing I'll say differently than I think, you know, you said was that I think the retailer needs to be more sophisticated in how they think about their consumer journey because the customer is more sophisticated. And this, this augmented reality and artificial intelligence and the fact that we do so much of our investigation about what we want to buy on our mobile before we enter the store, there's going to be a combination of just experiencing the brand, but also making shopping, I think, more simple and efficient. I don't see things like curbside pickup going away. I think returns have an opportunity to be more simple. Um, you know, and there's a lot of technology around, I think, and a lot of analysis that needs to go into how we convert people when they come back into our store to do something like a return. How do we rebuild a sale? I almost think there's, there's an opportunity to go back to our roots on clienteling and how do we get people to know about special events in our store or sales that are going to come. I was in, um, I, I've been, I posted this on LinkedIn a few months ago when I've been talking about it a lot. I've been um, a customer of Aritzia. I have a, a niece who is in that in that lane and a daughter-in-law. And I have been blown away about the product, the help in the store, how the store is set up. The, and I was in, I guess, the store on the Tuesday before Black Friday. 
and they were like, oh, for our best customers, we're kicking off Black Friday early. Here's a QR code to scan on your phone and you can see what the new Black Friday prices are gonna be. And I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> this is just like the coolest thing. I probably got the Aritzia team in trouble, I'm sorry. But I mean, I think that we're gonna have to have a more sophisticated experience in the store. And I think the other thing is, and I know I'm talking about a lot of things, but product. Gotta get back to our roots on product. You know, it's fine to have a lot of It's fine to have a lot of basics, but we need to really see trends evolve. And it must have been terrible as a designer to try to figure out how to do design and production when nobody was in an office and nobody could touch textiles and nobody was working in China. It must have been terrible, but we need to see products evolve, you know? We do not need another crew neck cashmere sweater. We just need to see product evolve. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in the box space world where it's super competitive. There's a lot of retailers competing to sell Pampers and Pepsi, as I say. And I agree with you. It's one thing the digitally native brands bring that are interesting. They're these lifestyle brands with these new products that we can all marvel at. Mm -hmm. I actually own some untucked shirts. What did you think of this past Black Friday? You were out. What was your take? I thought there were some brands that looked good and some brands that really looked tired. And I think the consumer knew when we, first of all, athleisure is huge right now. And so every athleisure store had lines out the door. Um, I think the juniors market is doing well. Like I was surprised to see um, like a real, um, a lot of attention to PacSun. American Eagle has been doing well for quite some time. Um, but I think where there's great product and good value, I don't think consumers were looking for the deep discounts they necessarily had been. I think there's a lot of understanding that inventory is a little bit tighter and there's supply chain issues. And I didn't see those big banners in the windows like, we're giving the store away at 75% off. I definitely felt like things were more subtle. But where there was really good product, there were a lot of people in the store. And where there was like, you know, things were kind of status quo, that's what you saw, you know, you felt light in the store. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that as we move forward, I mean, Zara was crazy busy, um, but I think as we move forward, we have to see just, you know, some, some reinvention and some reinvestment. And really, you know, we don't need to wear skinny jeans every day. We don't need to wear leggings every day and we can't possibly buy any more workout clothes. So like what, as we return to work, which I think is gonna be a big part of 2022, I think people are gonna to wanna to get dressed up again. And I think that's gonna be a big, you know, it's gonna be an exciting time to see fashion come back. Yeah, I think in 2022, people are going to get dressed up again. You make a great point. I personally need to go get a new wardrobe and I'm excited to do that. I was at Woodbury Commons with my wife recently and we were getting things for the kids and it was, I thought the product was exceptional. It was really good. I, I did find myself saying, you know, the product was great, but in the new world order, when might I wear that product? Mm -hmm. You know, I might normally wear this type of product at this event. When is that event going to happen? So I did have a little bit of that. Well, it'll be, I think, you know, people are very excited to, you know, be together again. I think we're going to see a lot of travel and a lot of family get together as the holidays. Hopefully people will be safe. And I do see, you know, more and more people returning to work. Like when I start to go back into the office and I want to say May or June, 
I mean, I my office faces Sixth Avenue. I can look down to the park, and it was like five people walking in the street in four cars. And you know, last week, although it wasn't nearly like it is at Christmas time, the city was really alive, and and the stores were busy, and people were in Rock Center, and they were getting ready to kind of you know they were putting the lights on the tree with the scaffolding. And it was starting to feel like things were coming back. And we need those commercial business districts to come back to support the retail businesses so that, you know, we can open up our coffee shops and lunch places again. Sure. Okay. We need to wrap it up. This has been a great conversation. Brings me to the last part of our show. I have three questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? So I have three. Wow. <laughs> So I, I, I miss the limited and what it did for women as they were crossing from being a college student and into their early part of their career and just the great product. But I miss it most because that's where I really, I really cut my teeth. I spent a lot of time across the limited express, Cacique. And so I have like a fondness for that. I think the other thing that I was talking to someone about was, and it will never come back, but Blockbuster. I was telling a story to someone how I would pick up my son after, you know, after work at daycare and we would rush to the Blockbuster and I would call my husband on the phone at work and be like, they have this movie, but they have this too. Should we rent two movies? Will we get them back in time? You know, is this appropriate for my child? And there was just something really fun. Um, personally, though, I would say, and I think I've talked to you about this before, I'm so sad to see Barney's go. I, I thought the curation of clothing, jewelry, accessories, and footwear was just so special. And I have so many fond memories of shopping with my girlfriends and then going to Fred's for their fantastic French fries. And um, I, re I was really sad to see that go. And even if you put an outpost in Saks and call it Barney's, it's not Barney's. Yeah, okay. What was the last item over $20 you bought in a store? Oh, I've been shopping in Sephora for all the pe all the women in my life, so I've been buying a lot of cosmetics. My God, I think I've spent a fortune in Sephora in the last two weeks. <laughs> and lastly, before I let you go, if you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? Probably where pet supplies are. I have a 16-year-old cockapoo, and I love to buy her wow. toys and beds. We have beds all over the house and, you know, just really like treats. You know, things like that. You're not going to find me. You're not going to find me in the kitchen aisle. That's for sure. Okay. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Let's definitely do it again. Me too, Chris. It was great seeing you. Happy holidays. Have a great holiday. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.